Hi, I'm Doug Keck, and welcome to our very special EWTN bookmark. Joining us from the Blue Army Shrine in Asbury, New Jersey, is Sister Angela de Fatima Coelho. Her book, Inside the Light, Understanding the Message of Fatima, published by our friends at TAN and naturally available through the EWTN Religious Catalog. EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic, and it's wonderful for you to make the time to join us, Sister. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege for me to be here with you. Absolutely. Now, the book itself, Inside Understanding the Message of Fatima, as it says in the book, the primary the goal of the book is to take us into a deeper understanding of the underlying theological messages of Fatima, rather than it being an event-by-event -event, uh, kind of reenactment and retelling of the Fatima events, though you do include that as well for people who aren't as familiar, right? Yes, right. The first purpose of the book is not to telling the story of Fatima. There are already many wonderful and beautiful books. The aim of the book was to go and look to the challenges in a theological way, the challenges that the message, the angel, Our Lady, the testimony of the three shepherd children give us. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, my aim was to, be, to, to write that, those challenges in a simple way that an average person without deep theological studies could understand right. it. Well, I may hardly endorse that because I think you succeeded uh, fabulously. I'll let people know it. I really enjoyed the book. Thank I'm you. telling you up front. Uh, I thought it was interesting in, 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 the, in the section where, it, in the beginning, where it is talking about the history. It talks about Lucia was grief-stricken not just because she had lost her two cousins, because Francesco and Jacinta had died, but because she had also lost the only two people in the world with whom she had shared the apparitions of Fatima. You think about that, that must have been incredibly difficult for her. Yes, uh, many times we don't think about those moments of her life right in the beginning after the apparitions, but it was really uh, like a first step after the ending of the apparitions for Lucia, to learn how to trust in God and how to trust in the Blessed Mother, mm. how to be aware that the promise the Blessed Mother made her, that her heart will be a refuge and her way to God, was really the, the pillar of, of her spiritual mm -hmm. life. Of course, she was very young, she was only 14, but uh, that, those moments were very, very difficult for, for little Lucia, yes. Right. One question I had, you also talk about uh, the other apparitions, uh, the seventh time uh, that the apparition later on went to uh, uh, Lucia. But you also said that Lucia took her final vows in 34 to become a Dorothean sister. She later changed to be a Carmelite. Why did she decide to change, do you know? Well, uh, as a matter of fact, right at the beginning, and we can see on her memoirs, uh, after the seventh apparition, she always wanted, when she felt the call for religious life, she always wanted to be a Carmelite sister. Mm -hmm. We can see that, as, as we know, she saw Our Lady of Mount Carmel in the apparition of October during the miracle of the sun. And then um, she says explicitly she wanted to be a Carmelite sister. Nevertheless, the sisters of the Institute of St. Dorothy welcomed her mm -hmm. in the beginning of her life after leaving Fatima, and they welcomed her for free so in Thanksgiving, she somehow joined them. But then uh, the constant pilgrimage, pilgrims coming to her, the constant works and challenges um, did not give mm -hmm. her enough time to pray, to reflect, to meditation. So she started to ask her superiors and the bishops to let her move towards the Carmelite order. 
Of course, the Dorothean sisters loved her so much, they, they did not want that. So, at one point, she even wrote to the Holy Father, Pius XII, really? to help her in this discernment. And eventually, she joined the Carmelite sisters in March 25th, 1948. Mm -hmm. So, it was under her request, her will. Okay. Now, you also talk about the fact that she, just to deal with some things like the consecration, uh, was approved, uh, she agreed with that, said it had been accepted, because those are some of the things you hear once in a while, along with the whole secrets not been revealed, but obviously talk about uh, her perspective on that, which is obviously indicating that she thought it was. Uh, it got to the point that some people were claiming that she wasn't, Lu the Lucia of later life wasn't really the original Lucia. Do you ever deal with people who say things like that? Well, I have to admit that things like that in Portugal are not yet very much a problem. I, I deal with that more when I'm traveling to the U.S., which, right. thanks be to God, I do travel a lot to spread the message of Fatima. But knowing that, I st I, from the beginning, it was uh, the aim of the intention of, also of this book to write a chapter on the secret, on the consecration of Russia and about the life of Lucia, especially to answer these good people of, I'm sure, with goodwill, that, uh, that uh, bring these uh, subjects up, right. you know, to the internet or so. Of course, it is um, hard sometimes to move uh, these perspectives, but I try to do that. I know from all the readings, also from the testimonies mm -hmm. of the sisters who lived with Sister Lucia for 50 years, mm -hmm. that after The Secret being published in 2000, she started to say immediately, yes, everything is published. The interpretation was up to the church. She, right. she never considered herself uh, the one who had to interpret. Right. She said, I saw and I described what I saw, then the church will interpret. Also from the consecration of Russia uh, to the Meklatart of Mary since 1984, she started to say, heaven accepted it. Right. And sometimes she would say, well, people are never happy. <laughs> so she was a little bit sad about all these things. And I think really distracts more Right. from what is really important than is a good benefit. That's why I try to make it clear or more clear in, in, in the book. Right, right. Now you yeah. say my life was mysteriously linked to hers, although she did not know it and I had not grasped the extent to which it would be the case. How was that so? How was it linked? Uh, my life with Sister Lucia. Right. <laughs> well, um, well, since I was a little child, well, you know, starting by my name, my baptismal name is Angela de Fatima, so mm -hmm. God wanted my parents to put me the name Angela and Fatima. So it, it seems like it was my, my mission, of course. Then mm -hmm. I realized it was my mission later on in my life. And definitely, um, the charisma of my order, Alliance at Santa Maria, in English, Alliance of Holy Mary, is uh, to live and spread the message of Fatima. So, of course, the writings of Sister Lucia are essential. Mm -hmm. uh, many of her quotes are in our constitutions, in the rules of my order. So, and also, mm -hmm. because within my community, my superiors entrust me this mission of giving talks, spreading in the world devotion to the Immaculate mm -hmm. Heart of Mary, which was Lucia's mission mm -hmm. in, in one way. So all of us, even in Blue Army here, all mm -hmm. of us who do spread the message of Fatima somehow are connected with Sister Lucia. Mm -hmm. Of course, I never knew until point um, I will be connected with her, especially after 2014 mm -hmm. when I became vice postulator. 
it was a deep um, connection, a deeper connection with her through her writings, wow. through the testimonies of the sisters who lived with her. And that was a source of grace and, and blessing, mm -hmm. not only to my personal life, of course, but to the life of my com community. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I did not know from the beginning when I joined my sisters in 95 that I was going to do all these, mm -hmm. you know, these missions and these tasks. Mm -hmm. And I never dreamed my life will be so close to Sister mm -hmm. Lucia, that is true. Well, you talk about when, when you met, if Sister Lucy arrived, she was tiny and obviously very old, but she brought much light. And, and then that goes into your discussion of Our Lady in the light and the, and, and the understanding of the, the title of the book as well, Inside the Light. So you saw that light in her as well. Well, definitely. The, the place in the Carmelite order where we can visit, we say in Portuguese, Lucutorio, it's tiny and only has a window, uh, as far as I remember, only, mm. only has a window, a small window, and light does not come in, you know, a lot. But I don't know if it was uh, psychological, but mm -hmm. I think it was more spiritual. When she came in, um, she radiates, for me, the way I saw her, she radiates so much mm -hmm. light, even with her smile, mm -hmm. that makes this connection which one of the most important aspects of the message of Fatima, in my opinion, that is exactly light. Um, the name of the book, Inside the Light, comes from where Sister Lucia describes the first right. apparition. We were so close to the Blessed Mother that we were inside the light she irradiated. Mm. So I think the word light, even the miracle, the last miracle of the sun, is a miracle of light. And Lucia's name, in his root, Lucia means luz, light. Okay. So I think everything made some sense for me in that first day I saw her and developed eventually in this book and in this title of the book. Right. Now you say in more than 80 years since the apparitions, Lucia's whole life has been an effort to become more like Christ, whom she had learned to know and love through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And you also go on to, to mention, I thought this was interesting, that Lucia didn't just say yes to Our Lady that day. Uh, May 13, 1917. She clearly had said it every day of her life after that. Yes. Uh, and I think that is a great example. Many of us might think, well, she saw Our Lady, her life is easy, she has to spread and that's it. She never struggled, she never had doubts. Well, that is not right. Uh, she was a person like us. After the mm -hmm. ending of the apparition, she had to live a normal path of faith, like mm -hmm. us. So moments of doubts, moments of challenging, moments of thinking, I wonder, probably that never happened to me, so my life would be easier. So in all those moments of struggle, she, even when sometimes she had the temptation of saying no, she came back to that first yes of May 13, 1917, and she was repeating that yes. Mm -hmm. I think that is a great example for all of us. We have vocations, we have missions. Uh, sometimes when we get together closer to God, we think problems will disappear, no. or sometimes we want to get closer to God in order not to have problems. No. Well, that is not right. right. Being closer to God does not take the cross away, of course. And we are called to repeat our yes, right. the yes of our commitments. And you know, the first commitment of all is our baptismal grace. We are children of God. And then, of course, we have our personal vocations. I am a religious sister. Many times I do have struggles and challenges. And Lucy is an example for me to right. go back to that first yes, the first time 
I said yes to our Lord. And that keeps me courage to go on. Uh, which I think in our daily life today, commitment is such a hard work. Right. People don't like commitments. Well, the relationships are so... Yes? Right, exactly. Uh, finish your thought about relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are so light that um, commitments, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's difficult. So I think she's an example for us right. about right. that. Absolutely. What I wanted to uh, kind of follow up on was you alluded to the fact that, you know, uh, just because of these things happening to you doesn't mean everything's great. In the section of the book, A Life Shaped by Fatima, you say the book's not about me, but I think it's important you understand some of my background. You know, you've got a very, very uh, faith-filled family consecrating themselves to Our Lady, but there was a lot of suffering in your family that had an impact on your faith, right? <laughs> yes. Um, my, my family, like you said, was very Catholic uh, and very connected with Fatima, like many mm -hmm. families in Portugal. But my father especially and my mother, too, had a great devotion to Our Lady, praying the rosary every day in family. Mm -hmm. So being a child, I was only seven, eight years old, I thought that after the consecration, no more problems. The Blessed mm -hmm. Mother would protect us in a special way and avoid the crosses. Well, suddenly my sister, little sister died and my father too, both of them in accidents within one year. Mm -hmm. So my faith was challenging when I was nine. To this point, what was my image of God? Of mm -hmm. course, my image of God was someone that is there for me to protect me. That is a childish-like way of seeing our Lord. So with developing, and that was my greatest challenge of faith until the point, you know, I joined the sisters. Right. And then I tried to understand that consecration to Our Lady does not avoid the cross, no. Assures us that she is with us in the discipleship of Christ. So being disciples of Christ. You know, being Catholics, Christians, anyway, what, what is the purpose of our life? Jesus wishes to renew in us his own mysteries. Mm -hmm. It's like he wants to live again through us his only history of salvation. And that, of course, brings mm -hmm. us through joyful mysteries, luminous mysteries, but sorrowful mysteries. What does it, what does it mean to be consecrated mm -hmm. to the Blessed Mother? We are not skipping the sorrowful part of our life, but we are completely mm -hmm. sure that she is there with us helping us being more docile to the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit so really Christ can be formed in us mm -hmm. and live within us his whole mystery. Right. We but talk that of course took me a while to understand. <laughs> right, absolutely. In fact, you talked about being a doctor and a nun and then you say, I might have forgotten about mm -hmm. being a nun but God seemed to have remembered. Do you think that happens in a lot of people's lives where we, the hound of heaven gets us? Yes, I think our Lord never leaves us alone in a good way. He's always with us. He's patient. Mm -hmm. God is patient. Uh, he knows how to be adept to our own rhythms. Of course, sometimes there are periods in the history where there is urgent, there is an urgency mm -hmm. um, to answer our Lord's uh, requests to be able to be aware that we are called to cooperate in the history of salvation. I think one of these times is the, what we are living now. We know so much struggles and confusion and, and um, loss of sense of meaning of life. Those specifically moments of history, that's when our Lord needs her the most. But He, he mm -hmm. walks with us and He, he respects our own rhythm. He's patient, but He's also 
especially through the message of Our Lady, we can understand that is very much willing us not to be falling asleep, right. but to be wake up and, and being with them. You say, uh, the teaching of the Church's Magisterium is present in Our Lady's message at Fatima when she says, I want you to pray the rosary and I want you to learn how to read. We must pray, yes, but we must also use our minds to go deeper. Therefore, the purpose of this book and all the effort formation that we do is to answer one of the main requests of our Blessed Mother. So that has to do with the part about reading. How do you, how do you envision that? You know, that line always surprised me. It was in the apparition of June when Our Lady said to Lucia, I want you to pray the rosary every day and I want you to learn how to read. You know, when we think about Fatima, we think about only about probably spiritual things, you know, pray the rosary, first Saturday, sacrifices and whatever. And many times people outside the church look to the Catholic Church only as a pious, you know, group of people that pray and do some celebrations. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. We are in 1917. Most part of the children in Portugal would not go to school at all. And here we see in this so deep spiritual message, Our Lady asking for learn to read. There is the challenge that John Paul II gave us in his encyclical Fides et Ratio, the importance of believing, of course, but also to nourish our faith with studying. Theology, catechism, good readings, good books, uh, not not be satisfied with what we already know, you know, long for more. Because um, like John Paul explains, and that's the way I see, I perspective this, this sentence of the Blessed Mother, uh, if we focus only in spirituality and we do not nourish with theology, we can easily go through paths that are not very, you know, sometimes can even lead to superstition yeah. or a wrong way of, of seeing who God is. Yeah. Of course, reason alone it does not take us anywhere, too. We need the light of the faith. So the two together are important. And for me, it's beautiful that the Blessed Mother wanted Sister Lucia to learn how to read and write. Not only to spread the message of Fatima, of course, it was necessary for her to read and write, to spread the message, mm -hmm. but also for her to understand and to let us know that God wants us to be more deep in our faith, you know, again through readings meditation reflection formation and thanks be to god nowadays it's so easy to get in touch with good formation from you know all these technological ways we have now at our disposal right hopefully ew10 is one of them you say the last question our lady asked them that day was are you willing to offer yourselves to god and bear all the sufferings he wills to send you an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended and of supplication for the conversion of sinners. This is where sometimes people feel like, wow, he's really, our lady's really laying a heavy burden on these, these poor little kids. How do you view it? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, hmm. first of all, we have to think that that sentence was said in 1917, okay? So the language the Blessed Mother is using is the language that is uh, typical of those days of preaching. Mm -hmm. We know theology now, God does not send suffer, you know? Uh, God, uh, so now we have to perspective that sentence, at, at least that part, uh, under our theological language of today. But suffering exists. There is something we cannot deny. Exists for our daily lives, uh, exists for our uh, selfish and, and pride. Many of our suffering we created for mm -hmm. ourselves by not being humble, then of course, you know, we develop, we have diseases, 
natural disasters, many of these things. What is the Blessed Mother asking them? Is to offer themselves so totally to God that whatever happens in their lives, they can take it. Not a useless suffering, but a moment to offer in the unity of the sufferings and of the passion of Christ in order to help the conversion of sinners, to help the reparation no. of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So that brings a meaning to the suffering. Why am I suffering? You know, we, some sufferings we will never understand, like those of my uh, childish moments, right? Mm -hmm. Why did my father die? Why did my sister die that way? I will never answer those questions. Mm -hmm. But eventually, throughout time, I got to answer, what can I do with this? So offering myself to God is to live also my daily sufferings, also my joys, mm -hmm. in union with the passion of Christ, with this Paschal mystery. So I know that each suffering that comes to me, that life brings about, you know, the trials, the sufferings, mm -hmm. diseases, those we lost, challenges, problems at work, and so on, mm -hmm. we can live them um, the way Christ lived his own passion. That's, I think, it's the greatest challenge of all. And how did Christ live this passion? Right. Living that as a gift for others so others can right. have life, and of course in obedience to the Father. And of course the will of our Lord, we will never understand it fully, right. at least in this right. life. Right. But we have to trust in Him. He but, will provide. But as you indicated, in a sense, in the world we're living in today, you talk about the adoration of self and the fact that Fatima rejects the temptation to endure and serve the self by calling attention to the centrality of God in our lives and our history. You go on to say, for all these reasons and more, Fatima is a sign of hope to our world. Definitely. I think it is one of the most important things. One of the greatest problems of our contemporary life uh, is not um, that we put God away. Is that in the place of God, we put ourselves. Well, put God away always bring this. We put ourselves, but not as a human being, as a family, no longer that perspective, but my own self. I, myself, am the center of my entire life. That's the mentality of our society. And that is very dangerous because it will end up destroying ourselves ultimately. Because we only have life in this connection with God. We only can understand ourselves through our relationship with God. So, the call to adoration in the message of Fatima, right. you know, when someone starts to do Eucharistic adoration, for example, slowly God becomes in the center. Right. You know, I cannot, I do believe this, that it's not because we do great speeches against self-adoration that it, we will be successful. No, bring Jesus to their lives. Encourage people to do Eucharistic adoration. Bring them closer to Jesus and then He slowly will you know, make this self-centered selfishness mentality mm -hmm. change to adoration of God. Right. Well, you also talk about when people think of Fatima, they do not usually think primarily the Trinity or the Eucharist, but you make the point that, interestingly, however, Our Lady does not teach a dramatic class about the Trinity or the sacraments, nor does the angel. What they offer is a personal experience of God and of the Trinity. What do you mean? That's exactly what I was meaning. Uh, Our Lady does not, well, first of all, 
before Our Lady came the angel with the Eucharist and taught them the prayer with the Most Holy Trinity. And the last apparition of Fatima, 1929, in Tui, Spain, they saw the most, well, she saw, Lucia, the Most Holy Trinity and the Eucharist. So from the beginning to the end, Fatima is a Eucharistic apparition when with this uh, clear presence of God. But again, they do not preach. Mm. They give example, the angel and the Blessed Mother. So they lead the children to do an experience of God. Mm -hmm. And I think there is what the church has to do now. I know in the United States you are living this Eucharistical revival. Mm -hmm. I think really one of the most important things is to bring people to the Eucharistic adoration. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus himself will teach them how to adore properly, right. how to live the life of sacraments properly. Right. Well, in the section on, on Francisco, the three seers were keen, you mentioned, to be near the hidden Jesus. Who is the hidden Jesus? Well, the hidden Jesus is a beautiful story uh, that happened with Jacinta mainly. Mm -hmm. They were having a, pro a Eucharistic procession and uh, with the hosts, of course, and Jacinta was very little. It was before the apparition, and she was one of the little girls dressed in as, and as an angel that had the mission of throwing flowers as, as, the, as the pastor would go along. So Lucy, Jacinta was so excited, it was her turn to come, but during the Eucharistic procession, she's not sending any flowers to Jesus. And Lucia was, why didn't you send any flowers? She said, because you saw, you told me that I should send flowers when I saw Jesus, and I never saw him. So Lucia said, don't you know he's hidden in the host, in the Eucharist? Mm -hmm. So since then, they start to call the Eucharist presence, real presence of Jesus, the hidden Jesus. It's, it's a typical expression of, of the shepherd children of Fatima that right. became somehow an expression of right. our spirituality. Yeah, you talk about gratitude yes. and the importance of gratitude uh, that the children have. You also talk about the presence of if and then, which calls us to the responsible use of freedom. I know uh, Pope Benedict, you quote about that as well, about that idea that really we're, we're being put in front of us a series of choices that we have to make, right? Yes, that is um, this possibility to choose between good and evil, a great respect from our Lord to our free will. Well, we cannot forget he created us as his image. So we are also free to choose. Um, we can choose salvation or we can choose condemnation. It's up to us. And uh, all of that is present in the secret, you know, the message of Fatima is also a call to this responsibility for us to be aware that our choices in life has consequences right. and we have to assume them. Uh, and I think this is also something sometimes we lost sight in, in, our, in our theology and in our catechesis, the way we preach, but yes. Um, and that increases the dignity of human mm -hmm. being. If you were not free to choose, uh, even to choose God, then we are not image of God. Right. And Absolutely. God is faithful to yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. A wonderful book. Thank you so much for your time, Sister. We're just out of time. Uh, again, Sister Angela de Fatima Guelo, the book Inside the Light, Understanding the Message of Fatima, published by TAN, available through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, for all books that are Catholic and wonderful other items. And I couldn't recommend a more highly this book. There's so much more. We just scratched the surface. You've got to get the book so you can read it. Thank you so much for spending time with us on Bookmark, sister. Thank you. God bless.